Welcome to Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and current CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, we do appreciate the feedback and comments that we get about the show, and uh, we hope that you continue to share your thoughts and opinions and help us continue to grow and improve. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, please let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOSIO, including a new exchange listing, new tools and development updates being released, the upcoming global hackathon, and more. Additionally, we will be releasing a second bonus episode of Everything EOS this weekend with the founder of Lumios, Ali Ayash, where we discuss the recent beta launch of their mobile app, as well as his past experiences as an Ethereum developer and how it compares to developing on EOS, as well as their future airdrop. Before we get started, I do need to mention that this is not a sponsored podcast. Uh, I also need to mention that Zach Gall and I both hold EOS tokens ourselves as a matter of disclosure, um, but we're just simply two excited members of this community talking about open source software. Uh, again, this should not be construed as legal, professional, tax, or any other kind of advice. Um, we're simply two people passionate about EOS and talking about our thoughts. All right, so this week we had a lot of cool stuff going on. There's a lot of new tools, but I think uh, one of the more buzzworthy uh, pieces of news was the new Polo listing. Yeah. Polo coming out of the graveyard. I haven't... Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? Polo used to be the go-to exchange. Like, if your coin got listed on Polo, it oh, yeah. pumped like 200% that day. Easily, yeah. Now, I don't know anyone that really uses Polo as much. Binance kind of took over for the altcoins, I'd say. Definitely. But it's still a major exchange. And I think the most noteworthy piece of it is, one, it's US-based, yep. which is huge. And two, they were acquired by Circle earlier this year. And if you're not familiar with what Circle is, it's a payment application and it's owned by Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So last week or the week before, we talked about how Peter Thiel in, invested in Block One. That's a huge name, founder of PayPal. And now we're talking like Goldman Sachs backed companies. Yeah. Um, this, this is big. Yeah, it's huge. And I think the the one thing that you pointed out to me when um, this actually got listed is that they have a very similar sort of digital asset listing framework that's mm -hmm. similar to Coinbase. So, you know, many exchanges that are outside the U.S. that aren't subject to the same regulatory scrutiny in the U.S. just sort of list things when they want to list things. They may have some kind of re review process, but um, it's generally not as stringent as U.S.-based companies like, say, Coinbase, Kraken, and now Circle, which is owned by a company in the U.S., um, but they have this listing framework to make sure that when they list a coin, it's safe from a regulatory perspective. So if you want to comment on that and what yeah. that really means. Yeah. So the GDAX digital asset framework was released last November, and it, it's basically an outline of all of the criteria that a token has to meet in order to be listed on Coinbase or GDAX. Um, but so, so far, no tokens uh, have, have new tokens have been listed because of their framework. Um, obviously, they announced they're going to be listing Ethereum Classic in the future, but that's mostly just covering their asses because it's an Ethereum fork, and right. they're, they're supporting all the fork coins now just One. to kind of avoid lawsuits. Exactly. And they already know from a regulatory perspective, similar with Bitcoin, they know Bitcoin and Ethereum are explicitly not securities, so they're happy to list all the forks because it's basically the same thing, just slightly different. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the GDAX digital asset framework was the first of its kind. And later on, uh, earlier this year, Circle and, and well, Polynex 
actually released their framework, and, and it's almost a mirror image of what, what GDAX put together. And it basically covers criteria about their financial system, their technology, their team, their governance models, if it's scalable, code audits, market demand, liquidity, things, things like that. So what this proved with, this, with the Polo listing is that EOS met all those criteria. And that, that, that's really good, and especially because it's a U.S.-based exchange. The other interesting note that I thought of that I haven't really seen mentioned on any blogs or other YouTube channels anywhere is Block One actually brought on a man by the name of Lee Schneider about a month ago. And, and he was brought on to be the leader of General Counsel. And he started on June 5th. And he actually contributed to uh, a securities law framework for blockchain tokens, which was developed by Coinbase. He also played a hand in that the, the GDAX coin framework I mentioned earlier. And he's recognized as one of the leading voices in blockchain uh, regulation and compliance. And it's no surprise to me that within his first month, oh, yeah. uh, or actually first two months of, of being with Block One, all of a sudden we're seeing US-based exchanges picking it up. Oh, absolutely. I uh, think he may be going around knocking on their door saying, hey, have you seen? We check off all the boxes on your regulatory compliance. Here's why we're not a security. You mm -hmm. know, Hey, I wrote the, the framework that you guys are using. So maybe he'll be knocking on uh, Coinbase's door next. I know you were saying that's kind of a, a meme at this point, being listed on Coinbase, <laughs> since no new coins have been added. But yeah, we'll see. They, they keep talking about it. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm excited about uh, the Polo listing, mostly because of the affiliation with Circle. Circle yeah. acquired Polo earlier this year for $400 million. And if you want to learn more about Circle, I highly recommend go back, listen to Laura Shin's Unchained podcast. And she had the, the CEO of uh, Circle on there and he kind of explained what all is on their roadmap. And basically, you're going to be able to buy EOS with Fiat from a mobile app very soon. Yeah, uh, It's going to be really cool. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, Circle's um, had an interesting history. Before we move on to the next topic, they were one of the first sort of smaller companies to support, way before they got acquired, this was several years ago, to support just buying Bitcoin with cash, then went away for, I think, like two or two and a half years and mm -hmm. didn't support it at all. And they were using Bitcoin on the back end for transfers and settlement in some way. And now they're coming back again saying, hey, you know, they just bought Polo, obviously, but through the Circle mobile app, you can buy, you know, a few different tokens and EOS is going to be one of those. So pretty exciting. I'll let you handle the next topic because it didn't involves yeah. your favorite airdrop token. Definitely. So Everpedia's IQ token, which is known as IQX on a lot of exchanges like Bitfinex, uh, was just listed on Upbit, which is a huge uh, Asian, I believe it's a, a Chinese exchange. Um, I'm not sure the country. Yeah, saw a ton of, basically a massive increase in volume. You said it pumped, what, 200%? I woke, I woke up in the middle of the night. We're recording this on Thursday. I woke up in the middle of the night, always check my phone, look at the prices. <laughs> and I, I about crap my pants. <laughs> Uh, I, I didn't have any tokens on an exchange, and I yeah. probably was too tired to do anything about it anyway. I, I figured the pump would be short-lasted yep. because everyone was airdropped the tokens for free. Everyone's been hurting in this market, let's be honest. Um, it it would have been a tempting time to dump, uh, but the, the thing I noticed the most was the increase in volume. Um, the, the reason the, the price declined so much on IQ was one market sentiment, the whole market's down, Absolutely. but the other was just lack of volume. You, you couldn't buy or sell more than a couple thousand dollars on, on Bitfinex without clearing the order books. Oh wow. Seriously. Much. Yeah. There was, there was like, it looked like there was a pretty high spread between the, the buy and sell orders. Wow. So you, usually it's good if they're like w within a few, like fractions of a cent from me or a couple cents from each other. But right. I mean, we're talking pennies here, so fractions of cents. Yeah. But on this one, it, it was it was pretty big difference, and that just shows like lack of liquidity. Something I should mention uh, also, I saw a lot of reports. I haven't uh, individually confirmed any of them, but people were saying that during this sort of like 200% pump when it got listed on Upbit, Chains, the exchange that I have sort of 
you know, mentioned before on the podcast and promoted a little bit, um, apparently shut down their withdrawals and were not allowing people to withdraw and blamed it on some kind of a, a technical issue. Um, but just something to keep in mind when you're picking an exchange. If you have another place you can trade IQ, maybe wait and see how that shakes out once they open up withdrawals again. Um, but so far, my experience with chains has been great. I haven't had any issues. I guess while we're on the top of IQ, I, I was so excited about IQ. You've been hyping it up for months now. Yeah. I actually not only had my airdrop tokens, I, I haven't sold them, but I, act, I actually bought more. Nice. <laughs> but but it was it was at like six or 5.2 cents. That's so, right. So then I watched it go down. Whatever, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, if you're holding for the long term. For sure. Um, what's next here? So we got the upcoming roadmap. It keeps getting yes. teased. I, I keep seeing Bloomer popping into Telegram and teasing this roadmap. He's been he's been going he's been on fire on Twitter. Oh, seriously. I've been retweeting Bloomer more more than I ever have. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Brendan Bloomer, for you those who don't know, is the CEO of Block One, the company that makes the EOSIO software. So the upcoming roadmap, um, what, what are some of the things you're hoping to see on that? Because there's not a whole lot of news on it. So this is all going to be yeah. speculation at this point of what we, we hope to see. Honestly, just pure speculation. I'm hoping that we see something about the first DAP that they're going to release. And I'm really hoping that it's either, number one, a decentralized exchange, which they may do. But I have a feeling since Bitfinex is one of Block One's biggest investors and they're yeah. launching EOSFinex, that they're probably not going to try to compete there. So I'm hoping we see something about their social media network that they've been teasing for months and months and months that maybe they'll say, hey, version one, the beta of this new DAP is coming out January 2019 or something. I cannot wait until whatever we want to call it. Everyone mostly just calls it Steam 2.0. Right. It's obviously not going to be called that, yeah. but it's going to be bigger, <laughs> better, and faster than Steam. Definitely. More decentralized than Steam. And I, I can't wait till it comes out just so we can start posting the podcast to it. Yeah, it's gonna absolutely. Be great. Uh, that'll be our main medium of like our main platform, basically, yeah. if, if, if it's an EOS. Well, uh, if platform that we could post the podcast to hopefully they'll have a, a like a vlogging type of thing like oh, that would like, be um, awesome like how steam has now i didn't even think about that that'd be awesome we can do it all on we can actually release everything eos on the blockchain that's yeah i should have talked to you about that before. yeah, <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> that's exciting yeah <laughs> i am excited for that so that, i think that's my main thing i want to see too is just yeah i know they're working so hard in blacksburg virginia that that i just want to know what they're doing I, I wish i could be a fly on their wall Same. because you go on their website and look at how many positions they're hiring for. Oh, yeah. They're hiring devs in every single category. They're hiring community relations people all over the globe. They're, they're doing everything they need to do to lay the, the groundwork to, to make this something truly amazing like we believe it will be. Oh, absolutely. And like... We even we even just had somebody that was working for us and helping us on like a contract basis, building a lot of our uh, stuff. He's the guy who built Monster EOS, which you've seen, Leo Ribeiro. He was working with us on Glass and some other projects, and he actually just got hired by Block One. So it's like, it's like a dream in a couple job weeks. for any adaptive. Oh, absolutely! Like if you're willing to move to Blacksburg, Virginia. Yep. Uh, Congratulations to you, Leo, if you're listening. I'm uh, <laughs> sad to see you go, but I would have done the exact same thing in your shoes. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, and and they've been working on it because we, we've been getting some like releases here and there on on like EOS updates. Yep. But I, I think more of the resources are being poured into the DAP development because they've even stated that's how they're going to be profitable as, as a company is block one. Yep. They don't own any of these chains, so they're going to remain profitable by building dApps. Absolutely. Well, and if you, if anybody tuned in for how many episodes ago, was it two or three where we talked about Peter Thiel and his investment and how they basically explicitly stated they're trying to disrupt Facebook and Uber and Airbnb and other blue chip organizations. So I think in addition to disrupting something like Steam with this 
Steam 2.0. I think it's also going to be like a Facebook or a Twitter or maybe both, you know, that kind of disruptor trying to knock those giant incumbents out of power with some kind of token incentive. So, so I guess while we're on the topic of Bloomer kind of being very active on, on Telegram and, and Twitter, uh, I'll read one of his tweets he proposed a couple days ago. He said, we are proposing a removal of the 4% inflation for WPs along with distribution of network trading fees to EOS voters. This can more than offset the inflation cost of running the network and grow as more services are added. So why don't you explain what that kind of means? Yeah, so something that a lot of people don't know exists is what's called the Worker Proposal Fund. So right now, 4% of the 5% total inflation on the network, 4% of that, um, which is a huge chunk, is actually going into this account for Worker Proposal. There's no way to get to it yet. The, the system hasn't really been built to distribute those funds. But the original intention was to essentially have community-voted um, projects, sort of like a giant DAO that happened on a Ethereum, obviously without the, the critical bug to let somebody drain it. But I could propose something like, hey, I want to um, you know, build this DAP, or I want to put together this coalition to make sure block producers are independent, or something like that. And I could get the token holders to vote and allocate a certain amount of those funds to me. Um, but there have been a lot of concerns about you know, whale manipulation or big players coming in and basically just allocating more EOS to themselves, even if they don't follow through with the project. Um, so what Brendan Bloomer is basically, they're saying they're proposing a removal of that entire system, which would bring the EOS inflation from 5% down to just 1%. And we've seen already the RAM fees offsetting that 1% that's paid to the block producers. So this will actually make EOS deflationary, um, at least in the short term, if RAM trading continues. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge, huge proponent of the, the worker proposal system. So I'm, I'm actually against uh, the removal of it. I am okay with changing it a little bit. With I, I think four percent is a lot of inflation. It's a huge amount. So so changing that number is okay with me. But get, getting rid of it completely from from the roadmap, I, I'm completely against that because I think there's a lot of value to it. Because there's a lot of projects that that are going to come along and, and needed to be built that aren't necessarily going to be profitable projects, but they benefit the community. Yep. And those projects need to get funded. And the, the block producers are getting a 1% inflation. I know they're sponsoring some, some projects here and there, whether one block producer is sponsoring an entire project or, or a couple of block producers are kind of co coming together to support a project. That's not going to be as scalable as the WPS if it ever, ever makes it to fruition, which it should within hopefully the next year, yeah. hopefully sooner. I agree with you. I mean, I think rather than just removing it completely, I would rather see it go from 4% to something like another 1%. So match what the block producers are getting and at least try it. If it doesn't work after six months or a year and we find out that people are draining it through you know, fake projects or something, maybe then we consider shutting it down. But it feels to me almost like just giving up on something that I agree with you could be a huge benefit to the community and the ecosystem. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of hurdles. Um, yeah. Like what you said, whale manipulation to basically win a, win any funding for any project you want because right. you control the vote. Um, but from what I understand from my knowledge of where they're at on the, their work, work with the system contract for that was for, for version one of the WPS, they were only going to fund like mission critical or emergency projects. Interesting. And they weren't really going to take applications for just anyone to submit for any project right. because that would kind of... There'd be thousands of projects, and someone has to sort through that. Like the the foundation yeah, needs to be laid with how how do we filter these projects? How do you prevent spamming projects? So there'd probably be a fee involved. Um, the the closest thing to the WPS is actually something that Dash has. Really? Dash Dash actually has 
something very similar where you can propose work for, in exchange for Dash funding. But I, I think there's, I'm not sure the exact fee. It's in the hundreds of dollars. Though, yeah. to, to submit a proposal, you have to stake hundreds of dollars. And I'm not, I don't think you get it back. I think they do that through their GitHub, don't they? Um, that um, was where there was that big controversy about how much money uh, Zeke, What's his name? Zico? I forget his name. The The guy who runs or is the CEO of mm-hmm. the Dash Foundation right now. Um, Josh Kaufman from uh, EOS Canada actually has a pretty good post on uh, EOS Go forums where he actually kind of outlines all of the features of hmm. the, the Dash program. So it's pretty cool if you want to check that out. Interesting. And I think uh, the person I was trying to reference, I think, is actually Zcash. I'm getting him confused. But anyway. Yeah, so uh, to go along with with uh, the the tweet I read from Bloomer just now, there's there's other talk of uh, RAM. T- well, there's already RAM tokens, but creating CPU tokens. You said that since he tweeted that they kind of got away from the token. Yeah, so he went back on it. So Ash Oro, A S H E Oro Oro, um, was tweeting them on Twitter, basically tweeting at Dan and at uh, Brendan, saying, you know, hey, our CPU token's going to be added. And what a CPU token basically would be is that instead of just staking your EOS for bandwidth and CPU, your EOS would sort of create more CPU and bandwidth tokens over time. They were going to tokenize the CPU aspect, and then users could choose whether they wanted to sell it or keep it or whatever. Um, but Brendan came back and then said in a tweet that instead of doing that, what they're going to do is in order for you to claim the rewards by staking your EOS, you cannot utilize the CPU associated with that account. So basically, if I have 100 EOS staked, 50 of those are used for staked for CPU, and the other 50 are just staked for voting, I'll get paid from the new um, rewards that are going to be paid out to EOS token holders. I'll get paid for just the 50, not the full 100. So what this all comes down to between all these proposals are Block One is trying to figure out a way, and, and many others in, in the community as well, are trying to figure out a way to in- incentivize meaningful votes. Right. So we, we want as many people to stake their tokens for voting in the system as possible. And the way we're going to do that is through some sort of incentivization model where revenue generated through EOS, the, the platform through ESIO, revenue will be generated for the people who have those tokens staked for voting. But it, And you can only earn that let's call it interest, I guess. It's very similar to interest. You'd only earn interest if you're not using CPU or or RAM. So basically, you're not using the network, but you are staking your tokens to have a say in the network because you're voting for your block producers, and uh, you could also participate in referendum voting here shortly. For the Constitution. Yeah. So that's what they're trying to do. So that's great for all token holders, especially since I would say um, the majority of token holders are not DAP developers. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so it's going to benefit uh, the majority of the community when, when this stuff comes to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I keep all my EOS staked, so I'm basically hoarding a significant amount of CPU and bandwidth. I think pretty much everybody is that keeps it staked yeah. that isn't doing anything with it. And to, to be able to sort of allocate that back to the system and let other people use it and just collect rewards instead, I'm so on board with that. So we'll see what happens. So let, let's kind of give a rundown a summary of all of the different ways that EOS IO can generate revenue that will be distributed to token holders. Yeah. So there's, there's the RAM market. Yep. Uh, this was announced back in May. It, w- it was released w- with the, the genesis of EOS. What the RAM market does is it allows you to buy and sell RAM for EOS uh, on chain. And every transaction, there's a 1% trading fee. Yep. Uh, and because the trade volume is so high in the hundreds of millions of, of dollars per day, Uh, It's actually deflationary because of the 1% fee. So right now we have the block producers earning 1% split up amongst all of them per day in inflation. But then there's at least 1% of deflation because of the RAM trading fees and the the volume of it. So that's what we we mean by a deflationary system. There's also the the account naming 
raffle. Or yeah. You, it's so not the, really a raffle. It's more of an auction. It's more of an auction. So basically, if you want a name less than the current 12-character account name, you can make one of those right now, you know, just like you would any normal account. But if you want a special one like com or IO or I want Rob or something like that, you have to actually bid through this system. So the way it works is that the highest bid out of all of the names um, will be sold once it hasn't been bid on for 24 hours. So, so far, only looks like eight custom names have been uh, sold. One was actually com for 150,000 EOS to the start EOS IOBP. Um, basically, what they're going to do with that, it seems, is when you own a name like com, you own all of the sort of sub-account names. So they own Google.com as an account name and Facebook.com as an account name. They own all of the comms, basically, and now the IOs and, and are buying some of the others. Um, but all of those fees, the 150,000 EOS they paid for that, the 50,000 EOS they paid for .EOS, all of that gets put in another account. So when you combine the RAM fee, which right now is almost 2 million EOS, plus the looks like another 300,000 from uh, the name the name bidding that's going on right now, there's already a huge amount of EOS that could be distributed to the EOS token holders mm -hmm. just from that alone, um, which doesn't take into account future things like the potential uh, RAM futures market, which mm -hmm. Dan has proposed called PRAM, which we'll talk a little bit about. But basically, over time, a massive amount of EOS could be returned to the token holders. And the best part is, is that it's not coming through inflation. It's not new tokens that are being created. It's just tokens being taken as fees for you know speculators on the platform or people buying names. Um, we'll talk about ES Phoenix in a little bit, but there's already uh, one decentralized exchange. You mentioned a few times Chance. Uh, what, what oh, are they're, the they're actually not decentralized. Oh, they're not. Yeah. The first time I mentioned them on the podcast, I misspoke saying they were decentralized, but since then I found out that they're not. Thank you. They're for totally that. centralized. I appreciate that correction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't used it yet, uh, I'll be honest, um, but but I am closely following EOS Phoenix. Um, and I'm also familiar with uh, an Ethereum project called ZRX. Yep. So ZRX is a, a decentralized asset trading platform uh, with a shared liquidity pool. And I don't know, I don't think this has been announced with EOS Phoenix, but I hope that this is what it turns into. So with ZRX, it allows anyone to basically run their own decentralized exchange and order books. But if you wanna have the shared liquidity pool, which means that all the decentralized exchanges would share their buy and sell order books to add additional liquidity to, to multiple exchanges, uh, you have to charge uh, fees uh, in ZRX tokens. Right. So you could go fee-less transactions, but you don't get access to the shared liquidity pool, or you could have uh, the ZRX token involved, and that would give you access to the shared liquidity. So that what I'm hoping happens with EOS is they they, they follow that and do something very similar, where th there will be a, a fee, a, a small fee, transaction fee, to have a shared liquidity pool, and that fee would go back to the token holders. 100%. And I think, uh, I forget the name. Do you remember the name of that tool that they said that they were going to release, EOS Finex? Um, it was like Lunar or something like that. But anyway, they're building a very, very similar open source tool, similar to ZRX, where you know ZRX is limited to ERC-20 tokens on Ethereum, whereas something like this would be built directly on EOS and then could sort of provide that you know, shared liquidity across different EOS decentralized exchanges. And I, I think for decentralized exchanges to work, you have to have that shared liquidity pool or else. Oh, absolutely. If, if there's not enough buyers and sellers, if there's no volume, then it's it's a useless exchange. I think we've all probably experienced the, the, the pains of Ether Delta. Oh, my God. <laughs> Most <laughs> painful exchange ever. It's so bad. And a lot of that is due to the constraints of Ethereum, where, you know, you, you push out a transaction to buy something. Somebody else does it 20 seconds later, depending on whose transaction confirmed 
confirm first, you may get that order stolen from you and you have to wait two minutes to find out for it to confirm anyway. So just solving that one problem alone, that user experience issue where you can buy and sell so quickly on EOS on a decentralized exchange while maintaining control of your assets, you don't have to wait for you know that confirmation and pay that fee. That alone is going to make such a huge difference, and I think will bring a lot of liquidity to the decentralized exchanges in mm-hmm. addition to something like a shared order book. We, we kind of spoke about, we've been speaking about RAM for a while now, yeah. and we, we last, last week we didn't do our usual weekly update episode. We, we had a great interview yeah. with SVK Crypto, which I hope you all listen to. If you haven't, get on YouTube or iTunes and go back last and, week. And, and SVK Crypto, if you're not familiar, was uh, the most recent announcement from Block One's VC fund. They partnered on a $50 million joint uh, fund to basically fund more EOS projects like Everipedia and others. So very exciting interview. So the big news that we missed uh, sharing with you all last week, you may have already heard of it since then, is the referendum to the the, well, the RAM proposal was approved to add one kilobyte of RAM to each block. You yeah, want to so kind every, of e- explain what that means to the layperson? Yeah, so effectively what that means is that the amount of RAM will double every year. So there will be a new 64 gigabyte chunk of RAM added gradually every single block, every half second over the course of a year. Um, basically what this did was it sent a signal to the speculators who were speculating on RAM saying, hey, we're gradually increasing the amount of RAM. You're going to have to put in this much more money just to maintain the current RAM price. So what we've seen is that speculator market kind of dip off, fall off, where people started selling their RAM that didn't weren't actually using it. They were just speculating on it. And now the price is slowly declining and becoming much, much more affordable for DAP developers that are actually going to use it. So in some ways, the RAM issue has kind of already been solved. Um, I think it will be solved more once we have side chains with, with additional RAM. But for now, the price is has dropped dramatically, which is a mm-hmm. very, very good thing. So, so sorry to all the Rambos out there who uh, <laughs> were speculating. The Rambos. But uh, that's what they were calling themselves. Are man. you serious? They're all Rambos. Oh, my God. Yeah, and man, they all got wrecked. I saw an interesting analysis about all the different accounts that were buying RAM right when it hit its all-time high, and somebody bought a million EOS worth of RAM at its all-time high to send it to that. R.I.P. Like, oh, so bad. R.I.P. to your so money. So bad. Um, so there's actually been a lot of really... Uh, big updates and software releases. Uh, EOS rolled out their own update, but I'll, I'll talk about some of the bigger ones. So yeah, first... Real quick, actually, on that RAM proposal, I want to mention it's it's this is pretty historic that this has happened so quickly. Because if you think of any other blockchain where you know you would have to do a hard fork to implement something like this on Bitcoin or Ethereum, on EOS, this was voted in in two days by 15 out of the 21 of the top block producers and seamlessly updated without a hard fork, without pausing the chain. So just something to keep in mind. It's pretty amazing. I, I take it for granted. Oh, absolutely. It, it just, it's just like every day to me now. It's yeah. like every couple of weeks, there, there's a new proposal that gets approved and it changes something. Yeah. So the chain is constantly being improved, issues are constantly being solved, and the fact that we have this governance mechanism that no other chain has right now to just implement, seamlessly implement code updates is is pretty amazing. It's historic. Let's let's think about Bitcoin here. So (laughs) the RAM market sat at 64 gigabytes, and there are issues with the size of the RAM allotment. Right. Some people wanted more RAM or bigger blocks. <laughs> Some people wanted the RAM to stay the same, so they just keep speculating on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. What, what did Bitcoin have to do last? It was almost one year ago to the day almost. Yeah. Uh, was when Bitcoin Cash was created, when it forked off from Bitcoin to add uh, oh, yeah. additional size to well, its blocks. And that was years after the discussion started. Like when I found Bitcoin in 2013, people were then talking about the block size. Hey, should we increase the block size? I know in the future we're going to like start hitting that cap. Should we increase it? So it's been a discussion going on for years and was never even really resolved. It just resulted mm-hmm. in a hard fork that has sort of torn apart the community. So to have this governance model is is amazing. You hit the nail right on the head, and I, I just brushed right over it like it wasn't a big deal. Like, oh, yeah, new RAM, RAM, <laughs> pro, 
Coco Pass. Great. Casual, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, a year from now, after all the proposals that go through and the new, we have side chains and multi-threading, it's going to just be an everyday thing. But I thought it was worth pointing out. I, I, I can't wait. And we got uh, Mike Novable predicting 50,000 <laughs> transactions in Bloomberg. Yeah. Some, somewhere was published. He, he's the mo- Besides you. Yeah. I think Novogratz is the most bullish person on ES. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was about to talk about some of the, the tools. And it kind of ties into the RAM market because... Uh, we, we've always talked about these airdrops and the, how, how it's a new way of funding for, for new DAP projects where it lets the market decide the token price, essentially. Uh, but one of the problems, there, there were a few problems. The, the first problem was that the RAM was so expensive that if you wanted to do an airdrop, you would need to stake the equivalent of, I don't know, like around $20,000 worth of tokens right. just to, to airdrop. And when I say airdrop, they were airdropping still to the genesis Right. Snapshot. So the what, people that held EOS when the chain launched. So to, to get around the RAM fee, but not the Genesis problem, um, a tool uh, from EOS Toolkit called the AirGrab tool actually re- was released. And what that did was it instead of them airdropping, or I guess it wasn't to the Genesis because you had to opt in. I misspoke. For which? For, for the AirGrab tool. It wasn't oh, going off right. a Genesis that's snapshot. Right. So it did solve that problem, but you had to opt into it. Right. That's a good point. So what the AirGrab tool allows you to do is instead of having the DAP developer who's airdropping the tokens have to stake all of their RAM to send you those tokens, and they, they would if, if you did that kind of an airdrop, everyone who held EOS would get these airdrop tokens. But what the AirGrab tool allowed was it was opt-in to the airdrops, and when you were opting in, you essentially were staking your own RAM to receive these airdrop tokens. Right. So it was it was saving the the developers the, the cost of paying for all of their own RAM. So that was great because it, it got around the Genesis snapshot, but the friction was still you had to opt in. Right. So you and have to know the, about it. That's the part I don't like is that you still have to go and opt in. I, although I do like the fact that this will allow devs who don't have 20 grand or now maybe more like five or 10 grand now that RAM has come down. You know, if you don't have several thousand dollars to do an airdrop, you can do it this way and sort of let people do it for you. Um, so I do like that it's making it more accessible, but I don't like that then you have to go out and keep track of all these and manually claim them and go through that process. Well, it, it's a good thing that uh, the, the tool I'm about to talk about was released exactly. a couple of days ago. Yep. So EOS New York, shout out to Kevin Rose and the EOS New York team, uh, released the EOS snapshot tool uh, a couple days ago and in their blog post uh, they mentioned that basically what they're going to do is they're going to take a daily snapshot once per day uh, that could be used by developers to airdrop tokens. It's as simple as that. Yep. Some Something as simple as that wasn't available until now. So yeah. this is a huge deal because prior to this uh, there was no incentive for anyone to hold EOS for airdrops because all you had to do is hold it on June 2nd, and yep. you could have sold it a long time ago by now, and you're still reaping all of the rewards, which wasn't fair. Yeah, and even though this tool seems very simple, like, oh, they just, they're just they taking a new snapshot every day, and I can go and see it, the the mechanics behind it are actually very, very complex. Um, Generios tried to release a tool for airdrops that I had highlighted that apparently doesn't actually work the way that they say it's Uh-oh. supposed to. <laughs> um, so EOS New York wrote, wrote two separate tools so that they can verify that the snapshots are being taken accurately. So their system automatically compares them every day, makes sure the balances line up, and then they release the snapshot. So huge shout out to EOS New York for this tool. It It is very, very well done, easy to verify that the snapshot's been taken correctly, and now I think is going to result in a lot more people um, sort of coming back into EOS that may have sold out of the Genesis snapshot, because mm-hmm. they see, oh, wow, there are 10 new airdrops coming up. I need to hold EOS now and get in on that daily snapshot. 100%. 
Um, so, so those were the, the two big tools in relation to like the brand market and airdrops, which we're all excited about. Uh, the other thing, it's not out yet, but ES Finex, they, they put out a new blog post the other day, or may, maybe it's Block One that put out the blog post about them. Yeah, it was but, Block One. Uh, they had a little Q&A in there where they were describing it. And it's basically, they're developing a, a, the first high-performance trustless trading platform built on ESIO technology. It's going to be completely open source. So anyone who, who wants to build their own decentralized exchange, they basically have the code libraries to be able to do it quickly so that they could focus on the user-facing features like the UIs and yeah. things like that instead of the nuts and bolts of how the transactions are actually being relayed back back and forth between the buyers and sellers. So, so that's a big deal. Um, a couple days ago, um, EO, or Block One actually released an update of a tool called Demux. Yeah. Um, and th this tool drew inspiration from the Flux architecture protocol or pattern and Redux from Facebook. Um, it was first announced at the Hong Kong uh, Hackathon, which I actually... I, it, I never even caught that until yeah, I don't think, afterwards. I don't think they actually announced it. I think they were just letting the participants in the hackathon use it. I, I So when doing some research to, to talk about it for the podcast, I actually found the Reddit post of someone live posting from the Hong Kong, Hong Kong hackathon. He had like taken snapshots of the presentation on stage where they're yeah. talking about this. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And it, no one really made a big deal about it. Um, and t as far as the technology, what it does is, it basically creates a mirror of, of the state of the blockchain at any given time, and, it, uh, and it's verifiable, and it's, it stores a mirror version of that on a, a standard web application database like MongoDB or Pro Progress. Um, and, and what it does is it, it's, it solves a problem that has kind of plagued blockchain. Is it, It's really hard to run complex queries against a blockchain. Um, but it, it's something that that's fairly typical in standard web application development. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I understand it completely. I'm, I'm not a, an engineer, um, but from the way I understand it and, and from reading what Block One put out and know, knowing what I do know ab about uh, web development is if I wanted to run a complex query on, on all the EOS transactions, let's say, for example, I, I wanted to run a query where I wanted to look at all of the transactions that happened on July 1st with the following stipulations. The transfer was for exactly one EOS, the sender owned at least 100 EOS tokens, and the receiver owned less than 10, and also that the receiver had not received any other transactions in the week prior. So that, that's like a complex thing I'm asking for. I'm asking for a very, very specific set of transactions. Yep. And if I wanted to run that query prior to this tool being released, I would, have to, uh, I would have to query each one of those stipulations one by one, store the results in RAM, and then run the, sec the second stipulation on it, and so on and so forth. That's how I understand it. I'm not sure if that's correct. I apologize if it's not, but, uh, but I promised on Twitter I would try to give an explanation for it. Um, and may maybe in a future episode, we could have uh, some more developers come on and maybe they yeah. can explain it. That's a great idea. My, my understanding of it from like a use case perspective also is there are certain apps where you don't want the entire decentralized app to be running on the blockchain, but you just want to verify certain parts. So a good example of somebody that's using this, um, they, they were, I think, building something on their own before, but it's a company called Test Loop. Um, it's basically a ride-sharing service for Teslas in the future. Um, but they have they were quoted in an interview saying, um, not verbatim, but basically saying that what they're going to use the EOS blockchain for is to just have a verifiable record of different actions that the cars take. So they're using this for their insurance, right? So their insurance company could fight them if one of their Teslas is self-driving and gets in an accident. Their insurance company could, could fight them by saying, hey, you altered what happened to the car in your centralized database. So what they're doing is they're 
basically mirroring a lot of that from their centralized database and mirroring those actions on the EOS blockchain. So that then if their insurance company comes to them and says, hey, you tampered with your centralized database to you know file a claim illegally or, or against our terms, they can say, no, 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 we have it on a blockchain here. It's proved, you know, here's cryptographic proof. We couldn't have altered this. So there are a lot of different applications where you know you don't necessarily need to run the whole thing on EOS or on a blockchain, but certain parts of it need to be verifiable on a blockchain. So it'll be interesting to see what's built with this. And I have a feeling that Block One social media app is going to use this tool as well to sort of store proofs of the different messages on their blockchain, but not the entire message itself. A hundred percent. I feel like uh, there's been some tools that I'm, I'm, I can't. I can't put my finger on what, what tool I saw, but someone was using MongoDB already for something with the US blockchain. Was it um, maybe a block producer voting tool where you can kind of see snapshots of how, how the votes changed over time? Maybe, but I don't think that was used in a. I could be wrong. I don't know. It, it, they, they were. They had to move all the data to to an, a MongoDB database, but it just oh, might not I have been blockchain verif verifiable. Maybe right. was the difference. Was now it's verifiable using the DMUX tool. But basically, what it does is it captures state at any given time, um, because I don't I don't think state's always captured on the blockchain. You you can you can follow the blocks from one transaction to the next, but to 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 replay back to a given state's somewhat difficult. Yeah, I think it would be cool for us to, to find a developer. If you're out there, you're listening, you're a developer that has built something on EOS, maybe we could even have uh, Leo on the podcast. Yeah. And he could explain a lot of this since he built Monster EOS and all these other tools. I, we actually, like I said in the intro, we have a, a second episode coming out. Um, most likely either, we, we usually release the, the uh, recap episodes, which which is what you're used to. We usually release those on Fridays. Um, the, the second episode will either come out Friday night or, or Saturday morning. Uh, but I sat, or I didn't sit down, it was virtual. I, I, I spoke with the founder of Lumios, and he actually uh, worked on B-Token, which is a pretty major wow. Ethereum token uh, that, that I think ICO'd in February. And he, he kind of talked about some of the differences and and some of the problems with Ethereum and, and building on EOS now. A lot of memes, uh, a lot of memetic energy surrounding B-Token. So good to see him moving over after all the, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really ask him too much about why he left, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't feel the need to because I was just happy that it, he did leave. Cause, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that as, as time goes on and as more people build successful dApps like Everpedia, which is now live on the EOS blockchain. Um, more and more people moving over from Ethereum because in order to make their roadmap that they promised work, they're going to have to move to a platform that will actually support it. Mm -hmm. So we got um, the US Hackathon in Australia. Yeah. Uh, that's coming up this weekend. That's, Very exciting. That's really big news because it seems like all these new tools that Block One's releasing, they release them early at, at the hackathons and introduce them to the de development teams. And also, it's, it's getting more people involved in the ecosystem. It's getting funding for developers who, who win these projects. They're getting... Uh, even if they don't win, just being at the hackathons is probably a really big deal to them because it, it's getting them involved in the ecosystem. They're making the connections. They might meet a VC at the hackathon. Absolutely. So maybe you lose the hackathon, but but you win in the long run because you met a group of VCs who might be able to fund your project and you yeah. maybe even airdrop in the future. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's coming up August 4th to 5th in Sydney, Australia. So it, depending on your time zone, maybe sooner than August 4th or 5th. But um, usually what we'll see is early next week, we should see sort of a recap video that shows like the award ceremony. And then like a, what they did at the first event was like a five minute promo video, just sort of showing the highlights if you didn't want to watch the whole hour awards. But I'm excited to see who's going to be there this time. And keep in mind that the winner of each of these events, um, so the winner of the first one that we had in, where was that in? 
Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, and now in Sydney, and then in London, and then two other to-be-determined places. The winners of all of these are then going to compete in the sort of main global hackathon at uh, the end of this year. They so. actually just announced also um, for for the the finalist, uh, the the final like finale of the hackathon winners. Whenever they all compete against each other in the last one, which is that is that in December? Or? I think it's in December. Um, they actually opened the, an additional invitation from the Hong Kong hackathon. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know the team's name. But they won the Social Impact Award. Oh wow! So they, they didn't win the hackathon. But they won the Social Impact Award, and they, huh. they just got an invite to the finals. Oh, wow. That's that. awesome. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know the project. For the next episode, I'll, I'll do some research and yeah. give them a shout out. And it's it's going to be a pretty huge prize at the end. If, if you win these events, it's nothing to, to sneeze at. You're still winning 100 grand for your team. But at the end, there's a total of uh, $1.5 million in prizes. So pretty crazy. So what? I, I didn't do any research on this. What's up with the uh, Ledger app and the bounty for the hardware wallet? Yeah, so we have uh, exciting news when it comes to Ledger. Um, there's really no timeline, unfortunately. But somebody who has been working on it, who's been releasing a lot of updates about it, uh, officially submitted their code to Ledger. So part of claiming the bounty is that Ledger has to approve the code. Um, so now we're just waiting um, on Ledger basically to get back to him and say, hey, the code looks good. We'll release it out on all the Ledger Nano S's. Mm -hmm. And it, it bodes well because he actually built one of the previous apps that is now on Ledger. So he has a relationship with the team and, and should hopefully in the, in the coming weeks um, get approved and we'll be giving out that Ledger bounty. Yeah, why don't you explain the bounty? Yeah, so we put out a, a weeks ago. $100,000 hardware wallet bounty. This happened, I don't know, more than a month ago now, I think. Um, we put out a video about it. You can search $100,000 or 100K hardware wallet bounty on YouTube and it'll pop up. But basically, 50 grand is dedicated to somebody building a hardware wallet app for the Ledger Nano S, and the other 50 grand to somebody building a Trezor app. So the Ledger development is much, much further along than Trezor, but we do have teams that are still competing and working on the Trezor implementation. Props to Cypher Glass for the 100K bounty. Hopefully, Thank you. Uh, at least one or two developers are going to be very happy, or development teams. Most oh, definitely. Likely. And I'm going to be very happy, too, to finally be able to, to store my EOS <laughs> on a Ledger again. Yes. Uh, so I, I missed this one at the beginning when we were talking about all the new exchange listings, but Huobi Global actually opened up the first OTC trading desk for EOS. Yep. So that's really big news. What OTC trading is, is basically if you wanted to make a, a multi-million, I mean, it doesn't have to be multi-million, it, it could be more than a couple thousand. If you want to make a big order on, on the exchange, you're, you're probably going to move the order books in price if you make it a market buy or sell at once. So if you wanted to buy, let's say, for example, $5 million of EOS, um, what you do is you work through their trading desk and they, they, they find you a buyer if you're trying to sell or exactly. if you're selling, they find you a buyer. And you'll usually pay above or below what the market price is, but it ends up being better, better for the two individuals making the trade because if they wanted to make the trade on the public order books on an exchange, they're going to drive the price drastically up or drastically down. Yeah. Well, and that's going to result in slippage, which is basically them not getting the same price for all their tokens. So yeah. if I'm a big institutional trader, I want to enter, like you said, $5 million. They'll find me, you know, five other people that all want to sell a million dollars worth and sell it all to me directly. Um, which is a, a pretty cool feature. It's something that is in a lot of major financial markets and is how most stock trades happen. Um, I honestly see it as the biggest deal for actually the block producer community. So right now mm -hmm. the EOS token, it, it's only sitting at what, like seven bucks right now. So I, I think the top couple uh, block producers are earning about a thousand EOS per day right. in, in block rewards. And you, you could buy or sell that on an exchange, no problem. Uh, obviously they're not doing it daily, uh, but if they... It's not a large amount of money, for, and the order books can most likely handle it. But let's say in the future, uh, if at the end of the year EOS is fifty bucks or a hundred bucks, that's going to be a sizable order to, oh, yeah. to sell their, to buy and sell their EOS. So we we don't want the block producers tanking the price because they got to 
cover operating costs for their data centers right. or for their development <laughs> staff. But like they have to sell some EOS because you got to pay rent with fiat. And there's a lot of other things. You got to pay employees with fiat most right. likely. Um, so they're, they are going to have to sell at some point. And it'll, it'll be nice that they have at least one OTC trading desk that they're able to work through now. Definitely. Yeah, this month we did uh, an interesting experience at Cypherglass for August and paid everybody in EOS directly from our block rewards just to see, you know, from an accounting perspective, how that will work if people want to hold it versus sell it. Um, but we may continue doing it then in the future. We're not sure to, to kind of try to offset that. Um, but I agree with you. I think OTC is, is definitely going to be very much needed in the future and will also help big institutional players enter the arena now. Have you talked to any of the other BPs about how, how they're handling their, uh, like, I guess, liquidation of funds or payment of employees? Like, what are, what are, because there's ongoing development, there's sponsoring hackathons, and then there's the cost of running the data center. Right. So you, you have to sell sell to cover operating costs. Definitely. Um, and you can't buy everything in EOS yet. Right, not yet. <laughs> uh, do you know if anyone else is paying their staff in EOS? I'm sure some are. I haven't I haven't asked specifically. I've looked mm-hmm. through some of their BP accounts to kind of see where the money is going. Some people haven't sold any. Some people, you know, have sold it all or at least transferred it all to some other account. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the block producer and sort of what they're doing. I can't remember what block producer it was, but on, on everyone's block producer page or on their Steemit post, they kind of outline the projects that they're supporting or what they're building internally. And on one of them, they, they had a list of projects and also the amount that they're paying for the development is measured in EOS. Right. So it was, it was like, I'm developing this feature for, for an app and I'm being paid 200 EOS or That's something. That's pretty cool. I, I don't remember who it was. I like that. Um, so we're getting close to an hour here. We could probably try to wrap up um, some other big news. We hit a uh, transaction speed record again, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it was. I think it's now, I believe, 3,500. Let me just pull it up and check. If you go to eosnetworkmonitor.io, you can see, um, yeah, it looks like 3,590 transactions per second was hit. Still on the single-threaded version, which is, is pretty nuts. Um, but as part of this, we also hit the number one most used blockchain by transaction volume in the world. Um, it's actually... If you take all every single other blockchain in the world combined, add up all of their transactions, EOS still is doing more transactions than all of those every day now. Um, so it's the number one most used blockchain above BitShares and Steam, which Dan Larimer also built. Um, pretty crazy. It's a, also another historic moment that it's number one on the uh, blockchain activity matrix. Looks like today has had more than 8 million transactions. And I, I posted this on Twitter and you can follow me on Twitter. My hand was blockchain Zach, <laughs> Zach with a K. Yeah, don't forget. Um, yeah, follow me. I, I've been trying to share all the EOS news on a day-to-day basis so you don't have to wait for each episode to drop. And I've even learned some some stuff from yours. I've been retweeting some of your posts. So nice. It's been good to see. That. I see you've been more active. Um, yeah, so the, the coolest part about hitting this transaction speed record of 3,000 plus per second is that we're using less than 1% of the bandwidth capacity of the network. Yeah. So you think about Ethereum, they, they, they fell to their knees from a couple of crypto kitties yep. at, at their transaction limit of about 20 per second. Yeah. <laughs> that, that took them to over 100% capacity. Oh, yeah. Well, and people, you got to keep in mind, on EOS, it's totally free to send these transactions. And on ETH, people are paying a dollar, sometimes $5 to send a transaction. And it can still only do 20 transactions per second because the tech just does not support it. It doesn't work. 
All right. So before we wrap up, is there anything? What, what's going on with Cypherglass? Why don't you kind of shill your stuff here? Yeah. So we uh, we unfortunately lost a couple huge whale votes that are now down at number thirty four. Um, obviously, you know, we expected this to happen. We've seen a lot of fluctuation of us being in top twenty one for a couple of weeks, out for a couple of weeks, back in. So we expect that we'll get back in the top twenty one soon. Um, but what we're really focused on now is making sure that that hardware wallet support comes to fruition, that Ledger does approve it, that eventually Trezor does approve it. Because I know that there are a ton of people out there, um, you know, that hold a significant amount of EOS or something that's significant to them and are saying, I don't want to vote until I have a hardware wallet. So we're really focused on getting that out now and also are working on um, some internal stuff related to dApps. That's all I'll say for now, but mm. uh, should have some exciting announcements here in the in the next uh, month to two months. Yeah, so th this is a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, the, the vote is ongoing from now until forever. So Absolutely. Being in the 21, you're only in the 21 for that, that day or that minute, and you could be out the next day or the next minute. Definitely. And you guys experienced that. But luckily, I know you guys are well-funded uh, from per personal-backed uh, yep. ventures. Um, yeah, we're so not going anywhere. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. It, it doesn't matter. You're still getting some block rewards. Yeah, uh, we get, I think, now 300 EOS a day at number 34, so not too bad. Is that enough to cover your like infrastructure, at least? Yeah, at it, first? I think we just barely break even on infrastructure basically infrastructure costs, marketing costs, and then all of our employee costs. So we're, you know, breaking even at that point. Hopefully we can get it up more and then dedicate more to, you know, investing in our future infrastructure and the expansion there. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think we're going to see a lot of new voters once hardware wallet support comes out. And once we have these incentives to hold and vote our EOS, I think we'll see way, way more votes come out and really shake up the top 21. So going to be interesting to see. Oh, best of luck, man. You know, I'm, I'm you. always pulling for you. Uh, you and a lot of other uh, good BPs out there. We've mentioned them on here before. We can mention them again. Yeah, um, perhaps one in the future. Gray yeah, Gray got Mass, back we, in the top 21. We talked about that last yeah. episode. Congrats yeah. to them. Congrats, Gray Mass. You that guys have their... the absolute best wallet. Uh, I, th I think even Dan backs their wallet. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he, uh, he recommended it to some people. I, I had tweeted them, I think, last week and said, hey, you know, can I... Can you basically make your cold wallet support where you sort of set up a separate computer as a cold wallet? Can you make this support, you know, signing token transfers offline to transfer some airdrops out and things like that? Um, within a week, they added a new feature. When it came out, it had a slight bug. Within an hour from me reporting that bug to them, they had fixed the bug already and pushed it live. So amazing team. Definitely deserve to be in the top 21. They're sitting at number 17 now. So awesome. congrats to the Gray Mass Congratulations, team. Gray Mass. Um, so I, I guess that's a good spot to stop. I just want to remind everyone we will have a second episode dropping this weekend. Uh, it's an interview with Lumio. Should be an exciting episode. Uh, I think we're going to do more of these interviews soon, and uh, we'll let you guys know next week about maybe having uh, Leo Ribeiro from Monster EOS, who worked with us a little bit on the podcast, to sort of dive into some of these more tech issues. But until then. Yeah, so tune in uh, later today or tomorrow. Tune in next week for another episode of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Everything EOS.